four contemporary prophets. I'll give you the first one, Amos. What were the other three? Hosea, Micah, and Isaiah. That's right. Now we're going to go to the second prophet since we finished Amos. And it's going to be Hosea. He will be the, the next one that we study. So keep in mind now that he is a contemporary with Amos. Now if you have your notes with you, uh, I'll go down through some of the notes in here. And what I'm going to do is to try to get us acquainted with this man before we open our Bible to uh, study about the book that he wrote. Uh, if you don't have the notes, well, that's fine too. Uh, we're not going to be talking about anything that is really technical or anything that you'll have to uh, write down and uh, on your uh, notes there. But uh, just to kind of go through this. Uh, on, on Amos, we know where he's from. We know the kind of work he did and so forth. We got acquainted with him and we know that he was a man that uh, dealt in righteousness and was very stern uh, with people who were unrighteous and uh, condemned them in a very harsh way. Now as we turn to Hosea, who would be preaching about the same time. Now, the reason that we say the same time is if you look in chapter 1, verse 1, there it will identify of when he began to uh, preach. And it is within the time of the same, uh, same time frame, the same kings. So he'd be preaching then somewhere between 750 and 722 B.C. Now why would I say 722 B.C.? That's the date of when they were carried off. And so these people to whom he's preaching uh, will be destroyed or taken away in 722. <clears throat> so somewhere in this time frame uh, he is uh, he's preaching. Now, as far as his occupation is concerned, the kind of individual he was, there is not a word in all the Bible that tells us anything about it. Uh, as you read commentaries, they will generally say uh, that they speculate that he was of the priesthood, that he might have been a priest. Now, the reason that they say this is because he has such a high regard for the priesthood. And it appears that uh, uh, having that high regard, that uh, it may be that he is of that, uh, uh, that origin, and that may be his job. However, is it possible to have a very high regard for the priesthood and not be a priest? Why, certainly it is. And so that within itself is not uh, enough proof to even hazard a sensible guess and say he was of the priesthood. Uh, I merely bring it up because uh, that is a speculation that some people get. <clears throat> so the fact of the case is that we do not know what kind of job he had. And the, really, the only thing that we know about his, his uh, personal life is the woman he married. Now, we're going to have a lot about her and about his children and so forth. And we do know that, that he had a very disappointing marriage. But uh, other than that, as far as his personal life is concerned, we really don't know anything about him. Now, when we get down to the message, what was his message? What do you suppose it's going to be? Uh, do. And uh, it's going to be exactly the same thing that Amos preached. Uh, Amos preached doom. Hosea is going to preach doom. Except they're going to preach it in different ways. Uh, they have different personalities, uh, different experiences in life, and they will go about it in a different way. But he's preaching to the same people, and his message is going to be exactly the same thing. Now, <clears throat> the difference is going to be in this. 
that Amos went about it in a very stern way. Uh, he attacked the problem on the basis of this is right and if you're not doing it, you're wrong and if you're wrong, you're going to be destroyed unless you repent. And so he, he went about it on that basis. Righteousness and justice. A just God will destroy you because of your unrighteousness. But when we come to Hosea, Hosea is going to say exactly the same thing. He's going to come to exactly the same conclusion. But instead of emphasizing the, the justice of God, how just God is in his destruction of them, he's going to emphasize the love of God. He is going to approach it through God's love. God has a love for these people. God will do any and everything He can to try to get His people to repent. But if God has showered all of His blessings upon these people, if He has uh, tried everything that He can do to get the people to repent, uh, at showering this love upon them, then what do they rightly deserve? To be destroyed. And so he will come to the same conclusion except by this, this different uh, route. Now, where is he from? Uh, where was Amos from? From Judah. And he went up to preach to Israel. All right, again, we don't know where Hosea is from. <clears throat> with the exception that uh, he is uh, uh, very uh, conversant with all of the things that go on up in Israel. And he doesn't say anything about his, uh, uh, his background. He doesn't say that he is from Judah. And it appeared that this was important enough for Amos that, that he emphasized, I'm not from this country, I'm from the other country, and I'm up here preaching to this country. And Hosea doesn't say anything about it. And so apparently, Hosea is an Israelite himself. Uh, it is generally thought that he is from the, uh, the area around Samaria, uh, and just a, a regular Israelite who is preaching uh, to his own people. <clears throat> All right, now, the, uh, the uh, uh, background of this book is going to be uh, approaching it through love. And what is going to happen is, is that God is going to tell Hosea, go and marry a wife of whoredom. I want you to look in chapter 1, verse 2, uh, to set the stage for the book. It said, when, jo when Jehovah spake at the first by Hosea, Jehovah said unto Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredom and the children of whoredom. So this command is a, is a very unusual command. Now that command has caused people to think that this is an allegory and it is not an actual literal event. But, but it's an allegory that he's telling him, uh, I want you to go do this. Now, Hosea didn't really do it, but the story is presented as though he did do it. Now, it would be like this. It would be like me telling somebody, <clears throat> instead of me saying, now, you go marry somebody who is a, a wife of whoredom. I, I'd say, suppose that you married an unfaithful woman. Suppose that, that you married a woman and she then did this and this and this and this. What would you do to her? And then you would respond, well, here is what I would do. All right, now, if I, if I said it that way, then I'm giving you an illustration or an example. But if I say it as though it actually happens, it's called an allegory. See, And so some people say it's an allegory. 
Now, I don't believe that it is. I think that it is a literal situation. There is absolutely nothing in the text that suggests that it's an allegory or that it's figurative or that uh, it did not really happen. Now, the only reason that people would say that it is an allegory is that they would say that, that uh, uh, God would certainly not tell a righteous man to go marry a prostitute who has children through her prostitution. Uh, he, he just wouldn't tell a godly man to go do that. Well, I don't think he did. I don't think that he told Amos to go do it. Here's what I would understand that he is, he is saying, uh, it, it, as we put it in, in other terms. Uh, Hosea, go and marry you a woman. Now, you marry a wife, and this wife that you marry will one day turn into a prostitute. That is what is going to happen. And in her prostitution, she will actually have children, and your heart is going to be broken. So you go get married. <coughs> now, uh, as, uh, as, Am uh, as Hosea goes and gets married, uh, <coughs> he would get married on the same basis that anybody else would get married. Uh, he finds a woman, he loves a woman, and uh, he, he marries her, and uh, as events unfold, she does turn into this, this type of a, of a woman. <clears throat> Suppose that I, a, a young man came to me and talked to me and said, Lowell, should I get married? And I said, <clears throat> all right, uh, you, you go marry uh, a woman and she is going to get sick. She is going to have some bad health and you're going to have health problems much more if you marry a woman than you are if you don't marry one. Now, am I right or am I wrong? Certainly. You see, uh, that's going to happen. If you have two people, you're going to be sick twice as much as if you have one person. And, and uh, yeah, that would be it. Now, uh, if I said it another way, I said, go marry a woman and she'll have bad health. Now, uh, or go marry a woman of bad health. Now, if I, if I say it in that way, the first impression is, go marry a woman with bad health you would think, I'm saying, marry a woman who already has bad health. But do you see what I mean? That if I'm talking and I, I say, marry a woman, and one day she will have some health problems that you're going to have to deal with. <clears throat> That's what he's saying right here to uh, Hosea. Go get married. Now he's wanting Hosea to get married. Hosea is to get married for a particular purpose. And that is, it is to prepare him so he can be a man who can preach the way he preaches. And, and uh, uh, he's going to have to experience the pain that a man experiences with an unfaithful wife. <clears throat> now it's one thing for a man to say, well, I can understand. I know what I would do if my wife was unfaithful. I've thought about it. And I can, I can understand how a person feels if their wife is unfaithful. Now is that true or false? That's false. You cannot understand it. You can think about it all the days of your life. doesn't make any difference what you do. You can meditate on it all day, every day, and you will not and you cannot understand what it is like to have an unfaithful wife until you experience having an unfaithful wife. And so uh, there, there's no way anybody can, can preach on that subject until they have experienced that very thing to happen. Now that's what the book of Hosea is going to be about. Hosea is going to experience this and then he will use this in his preaching in order to make a point.
Now the point is going to be this, that Hosea is going to take a wife. And in the process of time, he will have a child by this woman. And then this woman will become unfaithful. She will go out in prostitution and she will have children in her prostitution. Now, in all of this unfaithfulness, she's just going to keep going, keep going, keep going, getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Now, as she goes away and as she is departing, she's going to have a child, and then God will appear to Hosea, and He says, Now, name this child this name. And He's going to give it a name that means a certain thing, and says, That's what I'm going to do to the children of Israel. Then the next child comes along. Now name this child this name because this is what I'm going to do to the children of Israel. And then the third child comes along. All right, now name this child this because here's what I'm going to do to the children of Israel. Uh, what, would you, uh, what would you say if uh, somebody has a child and you walk up to them and, and uh, you say, Oh, what did you name your little baby? And you said, I named my little baby that I shall have no mercy. What would you say? Well, why did you name it that? Wouldn't you? I mean, I could see if you named it Mercy. See, or or so. And then the third child comes along. All right, now name this child this, because here's what I'm going to do to the children of Israel. Uh, what would you uh, What would you say if uh, somebody has a child and you walk up to them and and uh, you say, Oh, what did you name your little baby? And you said, I name my little baby that I shall have no mercy. What would you say? Well, why did you name it that? Wouldn't you? I mean, I could see if you named it mercy. See, or, or something of this nature. But if you say, I will have no mercy, well, why did you name it that? Because that is what God is going to do to you. He's going to destroy you and he's going to do it without any mercy. And so he'll use the name then to launch out to be able to preach to these people. So here then is a scenario that Hosea is going to marry this woman. She's going to have a child by him. Then she will have a child probably by uh, another man. And then the third child definitely by another man, the way that you can tell by the name. And then uh, she's going to leave Hosea and she's going to go out and go into prostitution. And then as she goes into prostitution, she begins to deteriorate. And do you deteriorate physically if you go to Skid Row and start living that kind of a life? Yep. So she starts deteriorating physically. And finally, she gets so that she doesn't have the attractiveness to... to uh, uh, attract her paramours or her lovers and so then she begins to give herself away for free and then once she can't give herself away for free anymore she starts chasing men and catching them and forcing them and once then she is so decrepit that she can't run and catch a man and force a man guess what she does she goes back to Jose and says I want you to take me back now, fellows, what would you say in a case like this? See? All right. God appeared to him, and God said, Hosea, take her back. And you love a woman who's been loved by all these men. You take her back. And now then, you'll know how I feel. 
you'll know how I feel because my nation Israel is my wife. Uh, she's, she's my wife. And how many lovers had Israel gone out and prostituted herself before in idolatry? Uh, she had gone out and taken on all of these idols, uh, worshipped these idols, and every time she worshipped an idol, she was giving up her, her God, going out worshipping this idol, was exactly the same as a wife giving up her husband and going out and with another man. And so here then is Israel who has gone uh, whoring, as he will say, going into prostitution. And after she has done all of this, what does God do all the time she's out there? What's, what's God doing? Pleading, isn't it? Pleading to try to get her to come back. And, and she, she won't come back, and yet God is, is pleading for her to come back. And God is saying, now once you experience this, then you'll understand how my heart is broken, how I feel about my people who have departed from me. So when Hosea then actually experiences this, then he now is able to go out and preach to the people in a different way than Amos did. He's able to go out and preach on a basis of love and, and tell the people, God loves you so much. You, you can't understand how much God loves you. And he's, he's able to approach it on that basis then. So Amos or Hosea has been noted as the prophet of love or the prophet of, of sorrows uh, or tears because of all of the heartaches that, that have been brought upon him. But that's the situation with him. And so I think that it's nothing more than, than a literal event that actually takes place that we'll be talking about. Dave? Didn't his wife's uh, prostitution have something to do with the fact of the idolatry and the fact that she was raised in the idolatry? Probably so. Uh, she was raised in a generation of unfaithful women. Uh, it's... Uh, it, 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 it's, it's these women, we have talked about their moral condition right here in a moment, but you've already seen their moral condition in, uh, in Amos, haven't we? Uh, how they were morally. Now, what God is saying, you go out among those people and you take you a wife. Well, what's the chances? I mean, when you go out among the people like that, what's the chances of her being like the other women in the community? It's, it, it's great. Mm -hmm. Are you saying that his wife is not an Israel... I mean, you know, she's not a Jew. No, she is. She is. Uh, were they deteriorated so bad that they didn't stone them anymore? Yeah. <coughs> it, it just went on mm -hmm. as is. Yeah, they, they, it was deteriorating down to where uh, it, just, it was just a horrible thing. No, they weren't even... Uh, they, they were not practicing the law of God at this time. Bob? Well, in the law at that time that the husband could have his stone or if she was caught in action, he'd be stoned. Well, it could be. He, he had the option of doing it. But of course, Hosea is under the command of God of, of what he is to do. And obviously, he's not going to have her stoned, uh, you see, in this case. But no, they weren't stoning uh, at this time, except on an occasion, if it was a hypocritical occasion, you know, like the woman they brought to Jesus and tried to trap him, why, then something of this nature. Now, <clears throat> In your notes in there, we've got uh, written over here the uh, various conditions of Israel at this time. We'll not elaborate on it because you're well aware of that. But we're going to see that what he charges them with, religiously speaking, is that they were without knowledge and they were idolaters. 
He's going to charge them over and over and over. I'll not give the Scriptures. They're down there. And several of them on that. When you get to the moral condition, there you find that he's talking about what they do is that they are swearing and not keeping their oaths. They're breaking faith. They are murdering, stealing, committing adultery, lying, drunkenness, and dishonest in business. Now these are things that he's charging them with. In the political situation or the condition that he's going to be talking about, uh, he's in the same political condition that Amos was in, and that means that the government of Israel is in a great turmoil. Do you remember how quickly the kings were turning over when at that particular time? That they would be in for a month, and then two months, and then six months, and then uh, two years. And, uh, the government was constantly turning over. Uh, there were uh, all kind of uh, wars and threats of wars coming in. And uh, then Israel was doing something that she should not have been doing. Who was Israel supposed to rely on for protection? God. And, and Moses had given a commandment. And, and Moses' commandment was like this. Tell me what it means. He said that you are not to raise horses. Why did he command them? They were not to raise horses and have horses and chariots. The Jews weren't. They, they were warring instruments, see? And we think about horses as something that you go out and ride around for recreation. But uh, this would be like if God appeared today and, and told His people, He said, I do not want you to have any nuclear warheads. Well, you'd use nuclear warheads for one thing, and that is for your protection or for war. So He forbade them from building up this arsenal of, uh, of powerful warring equipment and God said, I'll take care of you. You put your trust in me. But what these people were doing was trying to uh, put their trust in mankind. And they would uh, make alliances with other countries. When they were afraid of uh, Assyria, they would go down to Egypt and make an alliance with Egypt. Would you come and protect me? Uh, if they were afraid of Egypt, who would they make an alliance with? Uh, uh, Assyria, see? And so they were putting their confidence in the strength of the nations of power that were around about them. So politically speaking then, uh, they were falling apart. So as you begin to look at this, we can get a summary in here, and I'll read you a summary from a commentator here, Farrar, that writes it on here. He said, There was a twofold cause for this immorality. One, the detestable vileness and hypocrisy of the priest with whom, as usual, the false prophets were in league. So now in here you have corrupted priesthood and you have false prophets and the corrupt priest and the false prophets would get together and the only thing that you would have would be religious corruption. Number two, the corruption of worship and religion at its source the calf worship was now beginning to produce its natural fruit. It would have indignantly disclaimed the stigma of idolatry. In other words, they would have said, oh no, we are not idolaters, but they were, he says here. He said, it was represented as image worship. The adoration of the cherubim symbols, uh, which were in themselves regarded as being so little violation of the second commandment that they were even consecrated in the temple of Jerusalem. So what he's saying is that, that you have two things. You have the, you, you're now having the end result of idolatry. Uh, idolatry, as everything, takes a period of time before the fruit appears. 
Uh, and now the fruit is appearing. Total corruption. The other is that with uh, not only are they worshiping the wrong God, worshiping the golden calf, but the people that are uh, the religious teachers are corrupt and not teaching them the truth of God. So at this time, Israel is in a horrible, horrible, terrible, wretched condition. And uh, that's what he's going to be uh, talking about. Now he's going to be approaching it as a basis of you are unfaithful. You have taken on other gods. You've even taken on the Balaam. Now you remember, what, what, who's the guy that brought in the two golden calves? Jeroboam. Jeroboam. Uh, who is the most wicked of all the kings, who had the most wicked of all the wives, who went out and brought in the Balaam, the heathen gods then? Ahab. All right, old Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, so when they were uh, uh, ruling, they, she then went out and she brought in the Balaam. And now then, they not only have the golden calf, but they have all the Balaam that's in there. They have all of the heathen gods. So Israel has just totally, totally degenerated. Now, one other thing that we might do before we get started right here is to turn over to Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah is going to be preaching a little bit later on. Uh, right after Hosea dies and Israel goes into captivity, Jeremiah is going to come on the scene and Jeremiah will not be preaching to Israel because there's not going to be any Israel at this time. So who will he be preaching to? Who will Jeremiah be preaching to? He's going to be preaching to Judah. Now, as he's preaching to Judah, Jeremiah's approach at this one place is going to be, now you saw your sister Israel and you saw how she degenerated and what God did. Now you're following her same path. Therefore, what do you suppose God's going to do to you? It's going to be the same thing. Now notice how he uh, puts it in here in, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 3 and in verse 8. Uh, let's go in verse, in verse 7. Uh, here. Let's go to verse 6. <laughs> we'll get the whole context. And you, you, you've had enough now. The prophets and all this will make sense. All right, Jeremiah is talking to Judah, and here's what he said. Moreover, Jehovah said unto me, In the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every, green, uh, upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. Now, uh, what is every high mountain and every green tree? What did they do up there? Idol worshiping. All right? And when they go worship an idol, when she leaves her God and goes and takes on another God, what is it that God says that is? Harlotry. Prostitution. That's what it is. You're going up and, and bowing yourself before uh, another husband is what you're doing, he says. Now, seven. And I said after she had done all these things, she will return unto me, but she returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Now, this horrible, horrible Israel, so bad, she had to be destroyed. And now then, what about Judah? What did she call her treacherous sister? She saw it, and she didn't turn. Now look in verse 8. And I saw when for this very cause that backsliding Israel had committed adultery... I had put her away and given her a bill of divorcement. Yet treacherous Judah, her sister, feared not, but she also went and played the harlot. 
Now I read this to show you. Do you see that God considers Israel and Judah as His wives? And, and when His wife Israel played the harlot, when she went out and committed fornication, God gave her a bill of divorcement. And He divorced her. What will He, what will he do to Judah? He's going to do the same thing. See, Alright, <clears throat> now... That kind of gives us a background here of how God looks at, at the, uh, the people of Israel. <clears throat> so let's start out now and look at chapter 1. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1, uh, identifies the time. We'll not talk about that. Now then go to verse 2. When Jehovah spake at the first by Hosea, Jehovah said unto Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of Hordom and children of Hordom. Uh, and, and I would understand that again to mean, Go take you a wife who will turn to harlotry because of the society in which she is living. That's, that is what she is going to do. Uh, she'll, she'll be that kind of a woman. So uh, go take her and she'll do this. Now the reason I'm telling you to get married is for the land doth commit gray whoredom departing from Jehovah. Now what does he mean the land committeth great whoredom? The people. The people who live in this land they now are, are committing great whoredom and they're doing it when they depart from Jehovah. Now call this whatever you want to. <clears throat> you can call it spiritual adultery if you like, figurative, uh, what, whatever you would, you would want to call it. Some people call it non-sexual adultery. But uh, uh, however you want to call it, here's what you have. You have a husband and you have a wife and the wife leaves her husband, goes over, takes another husband and does with him what she should have been doing with the first husband. That's, that's what the whole thing really boils down to. She has joined herself to this second husband or this second man over here. And in this case, really in harlotry, she's not married. She just goes out and joins herself uh, to another man. Now the children of Israel have left their God, their husband, going to idols, other uh, uh, gods, and prostituted themselves in that way. So, I want you to get married because they're doing this. And the idea is so it'll prepare you to preach. Alright, verse 3. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dipalim. Now, we don't know any more about these two. Don't know where they're from. Don't know any more about them. Other than he married this woman by the name of Gomer and she then is getting ready to do this very thing. Alright, so he took Gomer and she conceived and bare a son. Now this is obviously Hosea's son by his new wife, Gomer. So he has a son. God appears to him, and Jehovah said unto him, Call his name Jezreel. <clears throat> now that's like, uh, uh, call his name Spokane. Call his name Seattle. Call his name, uh, Jezreel is the name of, a, of an area of country up in Samaria. Now, Jezreel was, a, was a, the name of this place where uh, uh, Jehu was. You remember that fellow, that king, Jehu, who did uh, uh, killing people. That's right. Uh, Jehu had one job. What was it? He was appointed king. God appointed him king. And God gave him one job. What was it? Uh, well, it was, to, it was to do away with that, but it was to be done. He had, he had another specific job that he was to do. Ahab's house. Ahab's house. Totally eradicate Ahab's house. 
kill everybody who is related to Ahab. Did he do it? Yes. Yes, he did it. Uh, he, he first of all went over, he killed uh, uh, the king, then he killed his wife, and then, you remember about the sons, he sent out the message throughout Israel, and he put out a challenge. Now, if you don't like me being king, and you want to appoint one of Ahab's sons as king, you go ahead and do it, and we'll meet at war. Were they willing to do that? No, because they knew they'd get whipped. He gave them another option. If you don't want to come and fight me, what do you do? You go get the boys, cut their heads off, and send me all 70 heads. And so all 70 heads were sent, and he put them out there like cordwood at the gate so everybody could see and uh, demonstrate that he had uh, eradicated. Velma, I feel the same way, but these are facts of life. <laughs> Call 911 for Velma. Uh, put them out there and so everybody could see them, and they'd know two things. They would know how tough this guy was, and they would know that he is eradicating Ahab's house, and he doesn't have anybody to follow. So don't, don't try to rebel against me. You're not going to have anybody to, to lead you. All right? He did that in Jezreel. That, that's where he did it. So now you call his name Jezreel for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to hold that guy accountable. Because he did what I told him to do. Does that sound right? No. No, that doesn't sound right. That I'm going to hold him accountable and avenge. Now, avenge means what? The word vengeance and avenge come from the same word. What does it mean? It means what? It means to get even. What does get even mean? Pay back justice. Uh, pay back justice. There's what we are. Justice. That really is what it means. Uh, the word vengeance means give you justice. When two little fellows are out fighting, one of them hits the other, the guy then he turns around and hits him twice and says, I'm paying you back. What is he, what's he trying to do? He's trying to render justice. I'm going to give you what you deserve. Now, the fact of the case is that, that big boys are like little boys. That when we get the chance to pay somebody back, we want to pay them back a little bit more because that's what we think they deserve. Now, that's the reason God says, Vengeance belongeth unto me, saith the Lord. See, I will take care of this. Don't you take it upon yourself. Now, God says, I am now going to avenge or take vengeance upon the house of Jehu because of what he did. Well, he did exactly what God told him to do. Except, remember where he went wrong? He didn't get rid of the idols. He didn't get rid of the idols. He kept them. He, he didn't get rid of the sins of Jeroboam. That's the, that's the idols. And did he turn to God? Did he, did he try to obey God? No. He didn't turn to God with all his heart. Here's a guy that just liked to kill. Here's a fellow that just... He, 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 he really enjoyed his job. And he did a magnificent job at doing what he was supposed to do. But he did it with the wrong motive. He didn't turn to God. He just was doing a job that God wanted done. Now, that would be kind of like us. Let's, let's take me. I come Sunday to worship God. Does God want to be worshipped? And so I sing, and I pray, and I don't have God in mind. The only reason I'm doing it is I just like to sing. And so I come to sing because I like to sing. 
And, and, I, and I pray because I like to pray. I like for you people to hear me pray. You know, I like to be heard. Well, I'm doing what God told me to do. I'm singing. I'm praying. I'm preaching. But what kind of guy am I? Horrible. See, individual. Alright, that is the kind of individual that Jehu was. And so, now, uh, God is going to give His family the vengeance uh, that, uh, that they have. Uh, so he said, I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu and will cause the kingdom of the house of Israel to cease. I'm going to now uh, uh, go into the kings of Israel that have come down through Jehu. He still has his family ruling as king. And the end result is going to be the house of Israel will cease. Now what did uh, Amos say about the house of Israel? Was it going to cease? He said exactly the same thing. It's going to cease. And then he, he shows that there will be a few Israelites that will remain, but it will be on an individual basis. See, just a few will trickle back. So that is exactly the same thing that Hosea is preaching. That the house of Israel as a kingdom shall cease. And it shall come to pass at that day, the house of Israel is getting ready to cease, that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Up there in that area where all of those wars take on, I'm going to break the bow of Israel. Meaning what? I'm going to break their power. Take their power away from them. The bow is the instrument that you have that shoots the arrow. If you break the bow, what do you do to the total armament? You, you render it totally useless. And so, God said, I will render the power, the warring power of Israel useless. And they're going to go into captivity. Alright, so, name one kid that. Name them Jezreel. Now, uh, if, uh, uh, if, if uh, some maybe had a little boy and comes in Sunday, you say, what what you name the, the child? Oh, I named the child Snohomish. Would you ask why? You'd say, well, that's, that's, that's a pretty name, but it's kind of odd. Why'd you name it Snohomish? And then... It gives you a chance to tell you why you did it. So, we named him Jezreel. Oh, why? Because God is going to break the bow of Israel in Jezreel. Israel is coming to an end. Alright, after that, then she has another child. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And Jehovah said unto him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah. You know what Lo means in Hebrew? No. No, that's right. It means not. It's the same as a UN in, in English. Unseen, unspoken, uh, not seen, not spoken. So low means not. Now, uh, as you uh, look at it here, uh, the, the Ruhama means obtain mercy. The low Ruhama means hath not obtained mercy. So you name this little girl then, hath not obtained mercy. Well, obviously, people are going to want to know why did you name the little girl that name? And then he goes ahead to say, uh, call her this, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel that I should in any wise pardon them. The house of Israel is going to be destroyed. Now keep this in mind. We brought it out before, but I want us to see it again here. That as we are looking here, uh, what year is this? Uh, all right, around 750 somewhere, 
And we're coming down here. What year are they going to be destroyed? All right, in 722, they're going to be taken up here into Assyria, and then it's all over. It's going to be done. Now, what he's saying right in here, telling uh, uh, Hosea at this place, you tell these people that I will no longer have mercy. Now, is he saying that at this time I will not have mercy? Is that what he's saying? No. No. Is he saying at 725 I'll not have mercy? No. No. What he is saying is that when this event happens, when I finally send them up here, then I will have no mercy. Here is the unusual thing. All during this period of time, God is calling them back. He is pleading. He's pleading for them. He's pleading for this unfaithful wife who is now a harlot, pleading for her, come home, and I'll forgive you. Uh, all during this time, the loving kindness of God is just absolutely unbelievable. Once it happens, sitting up here, then I'll have no mercy. Now once they take off and head out here, when the Assyrian government comes, how is it that Amos described the pain, the torture? He described it with the women. And if women are in torture, you can imagine what they're going to do to the men. What about the women? They're going to yank you right through the holes in the walls. And why is it that you women are going to go through the holes in the wall? Because you got a hook in your nose. They're going to take you over to put you in that country and do with you whatever they want to do with you. Now, did, did the Assyrian government, did they serve a God that, that uh, taught mercy so that they might be a merciful nation? No. No mercy involved. Their religious standards had no mercy. Uh, they, they didn't have what somebody who believes in the Bible today would have. Uh, they, would have they tend to have mercy. Not, not in those days. The, uh, the Assyrian army will just rip you out of there. Alright, then he says though in verse 7, he said, But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by Jehovah their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Now, <clears throat> I will save Judah though. See, I, I'm going to show mercy upon Judah, not going to show any mercy upon Israel at all. Alright, let's pick up the story right here, that as we Go on down from 722, it is only Judah that is going on. Now, why is it that Judah will be permitted to continue in existence? Uh, well, what characteristic of God? Why does God do that? What's He showing them? Alright, mercy. Uh, in other words, do they deserve to go on? No, they don't really deserve to go on. It's merely by the mercy of God that He is permitting them uh, to continue on. Now, they're, they're going down here and they will go into captivity, but when they go into captivity, they're going to come out of captivity. And they're going to go on down and one day the Christ will be born. So Judah will continue on uh, and, and this will be the group of people that's in existence when, when Jesus comes. Now what about Israelites? There are going to be a few of them that will get out and drift back. Amos tells how many. What was it? Shepherd puts his hand in the mouth and pulls it out. It's just going to be a very, very small amount. Now, he says here, I will save them, but it's not going to be by their own power. 
by their own sword and by their battle and by their horses and, and all of that. Now, if we wanted to read history to see how God did save them, where would we go? If, if we wanted to read about them, where would we go? Back to Second Kings. So, let's flip back there for just a moment. Uh, to Second Kings chapter 19. <clears throat> we see a good illustration here of what he's talking about when he says, I will save them, but it will not be by their own power. <coughs> in 2 Kings 19, down in verse 35, here we have a, an event of where the Assyrian king is coming down to take Jerusalem and to destroy Jerusalem. He, he's going to destroy Jerusalem uh, just like he has destroyed uh, Israel. He's, he's getting ready to uh, uh, remove them out of the land here. Alright? In this place, they... they the army, the Assyrian army, is gathered all around Jerusalem. And why don't they go in at night and conquer Jerusalem? You can't see where you're going at night when you're fighting on a personal basis, so the fighting stopped at night. And so all this army is out there sleeping. Now look at what happened in verse 35. And it came to pass that night that an angel of Jehovah went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred fourscore and five thousand. How many is that? 185,000 people. And when men arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. Now, you know, that's kind of... Uh, well, it's, it's, it's just stating a fact that he departed and went and dwelled in Nineveh. Now, I want you to put yourself back there on that mountain. You're king Sennacherib. You've taken your army down and you're getting ready to conquer this little pepsqueak country, city of Jerusalem. How powerful is Jerusalem at this time? <clears throat> They've just been beaten up by everybody, haven't they? And so, uh, he's getting ready now, with, with all of these soldiers, he's getting ready to go in the next day and conquer Jerusalem. That night, an angel comes through and takes the life of 185,000 soldiers. Now, what would you do if you were the king, you were over them, you were leading them in battle, the next morning, when you blow the, the horn, everybody get up, there's 185,000 dead soldiers laying around on the mountain out there. What would you do? Would you go on in and fight with what few soldiers you have? Now, when it says, he went home and dwelt there, what would be another way we could put it? He took off as fast as he could go. He was scared to death. He got back home and stayed home. See, is the, is the idea. God saved them, not by their own power, but by His power. <clears throat> Alright. Then in verse 8, And when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bare a son. And Jehovah said, Call his name Lo-Ami. Now, Ami is the, the word am is people, the me is my, and the low is not. So what does this mean? Not my people. people. <clears throat> Alright, now, here's a, here's a son. Now, Dad, what are you going to name him? Not my boy. <laughs> what are you going to name him? Uh, only it's, it's not my boy, it's not my people. That's, what, what's a kid's name? Not my people. Does that have some indication of where this child came from? You see, uh, this child, I think, undoubtedly came from prostitution. Uh, <clears throat> that uh, it, it wasn't his, 
and he, he names it Not My People. Now, would you ask any mother why she named her boy Not My People? <laughs> you see? That's really going to catch your attention. And so here's the reason that he says, <clears throat> Call his name Loami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. <clears throat> That's what's going to be. So here we got three kids. What are your kids' names? Uh, I'll have no mercy. What's the next kid's name? Or, or the first one is, is Jezreel. First one is Jezreel. Why you name him Jezreel? Because God's going to destroy Israel. The next is, I'll have no mercy. Why'd you do that? Because God's not going to have any mercy on Israel. The next is, not my people. Why'd you name him that? Because you're not my people and I'm not your God. That's the, the whole point. So when we get up here, here's where we are. They go up here into captivity, and as these Jews or Israelites get up here in captivity, what's their relationship to God? Not His people. No. You are not my people, and I am not your God. Down here, I begged and pleaded with you to, to serve me as your God, but you wouldn't do it. You went out and you served other gods. Now you're going to get whatever you want. You go up there, I have wiped you off, you've ceased the sedation, I'm not your God, you're not my people. It's just that simple. Now this is important to remember. That when they went up there, the attitude that God had is, you're not my people, and I'm not your God. Alright, verse 10. Yet, even though you're not my people, the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea which cannot be measured nor numbered. Doesn't that sound funny? I'm marking you off as a nation, and yet the number of my people are going to be so great that you can't even number them. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Now wonder what he's talking about here. Where it said, You're not my people, you shall be called the sons of the living God. Alright, in First uh, Peter chapter 2 and in verse 10, <clears throat> Peter is writing to the dispersion of the Israelites. The Israelites that have been dispersed, here we come down, a few of them come back, they get back over here with Judah. Now then, as we go on from here on, guess what these countries are going to be called, what these people are going to be called from here on? They'll be called Israel. They'll be called Judah, and they'll be called Jews. Those three names. Now the term Jew came into existence right here as they were going into captivity. And we haven't gotten to that yet. But it came in there. We're in, we, we are familiar with Judah and Israel. Alright, when you get over here, over here he is preaching to the, to the people of, of Israel... And over here, he's telling the Christians, the, the Jewish Christians, he's saying, whereas you Jews were not my people back here, now then, over here, you are my people. So what's he talking about? When is it that those Jews will become God's people? In Christ. Over here, in Christ. This over here, is going to be the time of when it's going to be so numerous as the sand of the sea. Uh, even though you're taken up here and you're going to be destroyed, 
You're, the Israelites are going to be as the sand of the sea, whereas you were not my people, you are going to be my people. Now here is another interesting thing in this whole works, and that is that in Romans 9.25 and 26, Paul is talking about the Gentiles, and he's making a point about the Gentiles, and he's telling the Jews that God is blessing the Gentiles, and he is, his point is, God has brought the Gentiles in on an equal basis with the Jews, and he says, it is as the prophet said, whereas you were not my people, now you are my people. All right, when he's talking about the Gentiles, was there, uh, uh, were, were the Gentiles the people of God back here? No, they weren't the people of God. But over here in Christ are Gentiles who are not the people of God. Are they the people of God? And so then over here, where it says, you are not my people, now then, let's, uh, how, how do you put it down here? You are not my people. Who does that refer to? Over here. Jew and Gentile. Both, right? In other words, the Israelite ceased being the people of God at this point. The Gentiles were not the people of God. But over here, those people who are not the people of God will be the people of God. And so that is what Hosea is prophesying. So way back over here, in 750 B.C., Hosea says this. He said, here is what is going to happen. You're going to be going into captivity. You will cease as a nation. You'll stop. But the time will come when the Israelites will be as plentiful as the sand of the sea. Here you are not my people, but you will be my people again. And Hosea is looking ahead and prophesying of what will happen and we see that the whole thing happened over there in Christ. That's the way Peter and Paul described it. Any questions on it? Uh, just one point. He also says that he's going to have mercy over here. Uh, yeah, that's right. Whereas I didn't have mercy, then I will have mercy over there. So you and I are the recipients of this, right? You see, we, we are the recipients here uh, of the grace of God. <laughs> Alright? He goes ahead to say then, And the children of Judah... And the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint unto them one head. I wonder who that's talking about. The children of Israel. How many of them are going to come back out? Just a few. The children of Judah. And then they're going to get back together. And they're going to appoint unto them one head. Who's the one head going to be? Christ. Christ. See? Uh, that's, that, that's who that will be. They'll appoint on one head, and shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Great shall be the day of Jezreel. Jezreel. Jezreel is a term that we've already talked about that's used. It's a valley in which major battles took place. It's the, it's the place where God would conquer enemy armies uh, in a miraculous way, uh, have the Israelites to go out and conquer the army. Uh, battles of God took place in the valley of Jezreel. And that's what he's talking about. Great is the day of Jezreel. Great is the day when God exerts his power and determines which way the war is going to be. What was that New, uh, New Testament book? Romans 9.25 is for the, the Gentiles. And 1 Peter 2.10 is for the Jews. 
Okay, any comment or question now on our desk? If not, class dismissed.